0: In our day, these economic truths have become accepted as self-evident. We have accepted, so to speak, a second Bill of Rights under which a new basis of security and prosperity can be established for all, regardless of station, race, or creed. Among these are the right to a useful and remunerative job in the industries or shops or farms or mines of the nation. The right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation, the right of every farmer to raise and sell his products at a return which will give him and his family a decent living, the right of every businessman, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad, The right of every family to a decent home. The right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. The right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age, sickness, accident, and unemployment. The right to a good education. All of these rights spell security— And after this war is won, we must be prepared to move forward in the implementation of these rights to new goals of human happiness and well-being. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, State of the Union Speech, January 11, 1944 In January 1944, President Roosevelt outlined to Congress his vision of a post-war society defined by social and economic citizenship rights. At the same time, Friedrich Hayek's classic polemic, The Road to Serfdom, was at the Publishers in London. Where Roosevelt saw an opportunity to embed and expand the liberal gains of the New Deal, which had been cemented by the war effort, Hayek and his friends saw only the threat of encroaching socialism, collectivism, and totalitarianism. As the war raged to a close, it was possible to see the clash of two diametrically opposed worldviews, American New Deal liberalism and British social democracy on one side, and a distinctive critique that formed the basis of transatlantic neoliberalism on the other. There was no doubt, however, that Rooseveltian New Deal liberalism was in the ascendance in the United States, while Prime Minister Clement Attlee's government began to build in Britain the post-war settlement symbolized by the foundation of the National Health Service by Minister of Health Anirin Nye Bevan in 1948. To many on the progressive left, the slow unraveling of Roosevelt's expansive vision in the post-war period is one of the great laments of recent U.S. history. But despite the failure of the Democrats to achieve everything Roosevelt had promised, most obviously universal health care, something partially redeemed by President Barack Obama in 2010, Harry S. Truman's fair deal, the G.I. Bill, and the 1949 and 1950 expansions of social security set the tone for American liberalism's advance. At the same time, in Britain, Beveridge's 1942 report on social insurance and Allied services inspired a demand that post-war reconstruction be built on the welfare state creation of the early 20th century new liberal governments of Asquith and Lloyd George, Indeed, in May 1945, an ungrateful electorate dumped Winston Churchill and the Conservative Party from office and replaced them with Attlee's Labour Party. One of the great reforming governments, Labour implemented Beveridge's proposals for a cradle-to-grave welfare state and, again, through Nye Bevan's leadership as Secretary of State for Health, initiated a high-specification public housing building initiative to replace Britain's bombed-out housing stock. Here were two countries with very different systems and circumstances that nevertheless felt similar social and liberal democratic impulses at mid-century. A legacy of the Great Depression of the 1930s was to make unemployment, poverty, and freedom from want the chief concerns of voters— who demanded of their leaders that their societies would never again suffer from such indignities and degradations at the hands of market failure.